Thank you, Marlee. Thank you so much. He will take you through the fire. You are not alone and you are not abandoned. And that's what the book of Revelation is really all about. Is God with us through the trying times that come in our lifetime? I want to introduce today a group of guests that are with us today from Louisville. These are very, very close friends of mine. We've served the Lord together, and I don't want to begin to count. I know at least 35 for some of them, um, but uh, Louie and Wilma Piet, thank you for being here today. Uh, Wilma, every Monday, volunteered at our church office, and we got so much more done because she's an organizer. That's her gift, and uh, we thank you for those many years of service. Uh, Marvin and Jane Allen, um, welcome as well. Uh, Jane was the organist at our church at Parkland for many, many years, and she was also on the pastor search committee of our church, and it's her fault that I came 35 years ago to Parkland Baptist Church, and we're still good friends uh, after all those years, but I love you guys so much. Uh, if I could share, Marvin and Jane have lost two adult children uh, in, the, in the just re recent years. And uh, they've been a great prayer partner with me and Linda in the loss of our son, Daniel. Yeah, there's a fire that everyone uh, goes through. You may feel like today that you're in one now. Uh, <clears throat> if you're not in one, you're going to be in one. You're either in one or getting ready to go in one. And um, that's why we have this great book of the Bible. Uh, Revelation was written to a people who were persecuted for their faith. And they literally faced a literal fire because uh, they dare not say, Curios Caesar, Lord Caesar. Uh, in the day of D D Domitian, there were um, uh, statues of Caesar, and these empty statues were filled with uh, false prophets who would speak things for the Roman uh, Caesar. And the people, when they passed it, would say, Curios Caesar. Um, had a professor in seminary named Dr. Blevins who taught this book of the Bible. Uh, he actually wrote a book that is his study and teaching. Uh, these books are hard to find now. I found one on eBay here a while back. It's over $100 just on eBay. But uh, Dr. Blevins was so uh, humorous. He'd go down the hall. He'd say, just call me Kudios Blevins, Lord Blevins, you know, Kudios Blevins. Um, but the people of God in the days of the, that this book was written, 95, 96 A.D., uh, literally had to say, Kudios Caesar, or, or they would be thrown to the lions, or they would be used as torches in the arenas. And the ones who said, Kudios Christos, Christ is Lord, are the ones who faced the fire. And they were called witnesses, which is where we get the term martyr. And uh, through the ages, God's people have had to face that consequence of their beliefs. Uh, the opposition, the challenge, even death itself. Because you're not willing to say that the state is king or that any ruler is king, but that Jesus is Lord of all. Today, I want us to dive into chapter 1, verses 17 through 20 as our focal text, but I'm going to preach all over uh, the verses prior to that and the verses thereafter. But I'd like to focus just on those verses for just now. And I want us to 
try our best to see what John saw. When John saw the voice that spoke to him from behind, John turned to see the voice, and when he saw the voice, he saw an image of Christ. And uh, when you see the risen Christ, how do you describe him? Well, John is going to use words that are called similes, if you will, to describe Jesus because there really are no words, no human words that can describe the, the, who God is. And so he uses other words to help us understand the powerful Christ that has spoken. Let us read beginning in verse 17 through 20. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of hell. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. When John turned to see the voice, he saw the risen Christ. And uh, beginning in uh, verse 13, he begins to describe what Jesus looked like, and this is why he passed out. He saw Jesus and he passed out. And um, I don't know today if I saw the, the risen Christ in the flesh, how I would respond. Um, I certainly wouldn't say, well, that was neat. Or that was cool. Or that was groovy. <laughs> um, I believe I would fall down and worship him. Because the powerful image of the living God is so indescribable that one which we worship is so attractive that we can hardly take our eyes off of him and we do not want to. And yet in his presence and holiness, we feel unworthy to even gaze upon him. But the Lord puts his hand upon his people and says, do not be afraid. There are 365 don't be afraids in the Bible, one for every day of the year. And God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. He wants you to have courage. Because the picture, now get this, very, hold on to this. The picture we get of God in the revelation is he is the victor. He is the overcomer. He is the one who wins over the battle of evil, over the foe of death, over the forces of this earthly world that are trying to overthrow the very throne of God's sovereign rule and reign. And that battle continues now even though we know the outcome according to this book of the Bible. Here's what John saw beginning in verse 13. He said, I saw the seven golden lampstands and in the middle of the lampstand one like a son of man. In the Old Testament this is the one of the favorite phrases for the coming Messiah. And so Jesus is pictured here as one like the Son of Man. He is the Messiah, 
Son of man, meaning God with us. God with us. Which tells us about the intention of God is to dwell among his people. And the world will never be what God wants it to be until that has been accomplished. And that's what Revelation 21 is all about. God is with his people as he desires. And so we see him here in the next few sentences as a high priest. He is clothed with a robe to his feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. Jesus is dressed as a high priest. Now the role of the high priest in the Bible was to atone for the sins of all the people. And so the role, uh, the high priest had to go through a series of libations for his own cleansing and then offer the sacrifice in this place called the holiest of holies in the temple. And it was so dangerous to be in the presence of God uh, that you had to have a cord or a rope tied to your leg in case you passed out or died in the very holy, holy presence of God. And the Bible is saying the high priest that we serve is Jesus. Not only is he the high priest, but he is the sacrifice that was paid for our sins. So in his clothing, we see him here as our high priest. In verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. Now in the Old Testament, uh, the, the pride of an aged person is to have gray hair. I'm doing everything I can to keep from having gray hair. I like to go to Walmart and get that thing you squeeze and put on your head, you know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold it off. Uh, but um, um, we, have a, we have a real problem in our culture. We don't give honor to the aged and the wisdom that comes from the aged. We don't want to hear from them. We want to hear from what um, Brother Mac just said. We want to hear from the young football player. We want to hear from the young actor or young actress because we want to be successful like them. And, and the truth is the average football player has to take out insurance because 18 months is about all he can last. And the person who is the uh, celebrity on the TV, uh, their life is in a shambles. If you knew what they really lived like, you really wouldn't want to be like them. The wisdom of God created the world. And it is the wisdom of God that sustains this world. Jesus is the wisdom of God. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his wisdom is profound. He is like a fiery flame penetrating with insight and omniscient intelligence. And so if you want wisdom in your life, if you want to know how to live and how to get through this life, Jesus is the one that you want to listen to. Our condition and that of every church is to gaze transparently upon the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we could just gaze as a church, as John is gazing upon the risen Lord here, we would be a different church. It's interesting that as John gazes upon the risen Lord, he's then going to write to seven churches. Now these two things go together. You can't separate one from the other. Jesus is in this lampstand, and uh, he is speaking to the seven churches, and he abides in the church, and he's going to address the churches. 
So the point we need to take home today is the church needs to regain its vision of Jesus. Is Jesus truly our high priest? Or we are, are we priests to ourselves and not to the Lord? Is the wisdom of God the wisdom that we seek in our personal discipleship and our walk with the Lord? Do we seek the will of God or do we seek to imitate something else? In verse 15 it talks about the strength of the Lord Jesus. His voice is like the sound of cascading waters. Can you imagine John on the exile on the Isle of Patmos? He hears the waves coming and crashing upon the rocks all the time. And if you've ever experienced that, it's hard to hear because the waves are so loud. And uh, he's saying about Jesus, his voice uh, thunders like these waves crashing upon the rocks. And when God speaks, the world listens. The world listens. In verse 16, he talks about the right hand and how he has his people in his right hand. The church is in the hand of God. The church is not in the hand of COVID. The church is not in the hand of the state. The church is not in the hand of the deacons. The church is not in the hands of any one member. The church is in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord's church. It will not. Also in verse 16 he talks about a sharp and a double-edged sword that came from his mouth. Hebrews reminds us that it is the word of God that pierces uh, our soul like piercing between bone and marrow. Now, uh, modern uh, uh, surgeons can do that with a microscope, but think about in the days of the Bible how cutting that picture is. The word of God can penetrate every soul. God has something to say to you if you will just but listen. Also in verse 16, he talks about his face is shining like the sun at, mid, at midday. The face of the Lord Jesus is so bright that there would be no need of the sun in God's holy heaven. Christ himself lights up heaven. His brilliance, his holiness, his majesty are awesome. And I would ask the question, has the church lost the reverence of the awesomeness of God. Do you have a place and a time in your walk with the Lord that you recapture this mystery, this awesomeness of God? So much so that you just want to kneel and cry in His presence. I don't know about you, but lately when I get on holy ground, I blubber. One, because I'm not worthy to be there. Two, because of the overwhelming grace of God. Three, because of the love of God that is surrounding me as I'm in the presence of the Holy Lord Jesus Christ overwhelms me. May we never lose that spectacular awesomeness of the majesty of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he like throughout the book of Revelation? Uh, he is not a conquering king like David, a conquering king with an army. He is a lamb. And he is a lamb that was slaughtered. And it is through his death for the world that he has overcome death itself. It is through his sacrifice for our sin that he has called us back and regained us 
because we were lost in our sin. Our Savior that's going to straighten out this cruel world we live in, where they want us to say, Caesar's Lord, where they want us to challenge our, our union card. You know, in the days of the Bible, they had union cards. It was called the guild. And, and if you were going to have a job, you had to have a union card. And you had to say, Kudios Caesar, in order to keep your union card, to have a job to provide for your family. And the church had to say, Kudios Christos, and lose their way of life. Oh, the sacrifices that were made to remain a people of integrity, a people of faithfulness, a people who would hold on and not give up and not give out and not go away and not give in and not give over, but instead would hold on. And that's the word I want to focus on right now. That word for holding on and overcoming. Now in the next few verses... We're going to hear John write to the churches. There are seven of these churches. And in all seven of these churches, we have just seen a picture of Jesus who overcame death, who has the keys to death and hell, who has the power to calm us and calm down a crazy, chaotic world. We've just seen Jesus and now we're going to apply his, his evaluation of all the seven churches. And he's going to say the same thing to every church. As I have overcome, I want you to overcome. That word overcome is mentioned to all seven churches. Each church has a different problem. Each church has a different challenge, just like we, do today, like we do today. But the one call, the one challenge to every church is to be overcomers, to take courage, and you can overcome. Now, I found out something this, this week that's just really fired me up. And every time I see this commercial anywhere, and it's everywhere, there's a, there's a logo out there that looks like a check mark, and it goes on a tennis shoe. Students, what's the name of the tennis shoe? Nike. We get the word in the Greek for overcome. It is Nike. I'll just use that to translate into modern days. How are you going to Nike? <laughs> if I could use it as a verb. How are you going to overcome in the temptations and the trials and the tribulations that you are having to live with? Revelation doesn't say God will remove us from the trials of our day. Revelation says God, the lamb that was sacrificed and overcame, Nike, the God who overcame is with us. And if we will be faithful, we will overcome too. Just as he was the victor, we are victors also. We win because he won. But you have to stay on the winning team. Huh? 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 Amen? You have to stay on the winning team. 
Now, some of you are thinking about transferring to some other team. The world has tempted you. Your pride has tempted you. Your sin has caused you great guilt. Your friends have ridiculed you. And you've been tempted to leave the team. The only team that wins is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hear this. Lifeway studies have shown to us that more people in our day than ever in history are divorcing the church. They've chosen another team. They've chosen another team. And there are reasons why. And you'll find them in the next few verses. And I've got five minutes to finish this three-hour sermon. The first church is to the church at Ephesus. It's in chapter 2. And Ephesus is a church that is in the gateway to the, uh, the rest of Asia Minor. It's a wealthy city. There was once a vibrant church there. Paul hung out for three years there. And he discipled Timothy and others. But something happened in their relationship to the Jesus that John saw. And over time, they drifted away from their first love. That was the Lord's challenge to the church at Ephesus. You know, between a husband and a wife, divorce doesn't happen overnight. Love doesn't grow cold because of one incident. Love grows cold because we drift and drift and drift away from each other. And I would ask you, as you seek to be on the team that wins, the church of the living God, what is distracting you away from your love relationship with Jesus Christ? What's keeping you from praying? Now I'll just get honest with you. When you lose a loved one, you go through the stages of grief. I've lost a loved one. I've gone through the stages of grief. You know what stage I'm in right now? I'll be honest with you. I'm angry. I'll get over it, Bill. God will help me. But I don't feel like talking to God. And every night he comes to me, my wife, and he says, let's talk again. Let's talk again. He's like that. He's patient. He's loving. He cares. He understands. He knows what it's like to lose a beloved. And he's saying to us, don't drift away. Be faithful. It won't always be like this. A new day of rejoicing will return. Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And a better day will come. But you've got to go through those stages first. It's normal. And the Holy Spirit comes to you, and the Holy Spirit says to you, it's okay. 
I know what it's like. God knew what it was like to lose his son. God knows what it's like for you to experience the losses that are in your life. And he says, hang in there. I'm with you. I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14. The second church that he spoke to was the church at Smyrna. I live on Smyrna Road, so I guess he's talking to me. And he said to the church at Smyrna, you have dealt with those who are, who are blasphemous. You are about to suffer. He says, I know how, what your poverty is, but you're really richer than you realize. So don't become apathetic. The temptation for us is to become apathetic in a day when we don't have a whole lot. We don't have as much as we used to. We're just trying to hang on to life, and we sort of give up. And we just say, why try? Why try? But here in verse 11, chapter 2, he says, He who Nikes, <laughs> he who Nikes, he who overcomes, he who overcomes the apathy in your life, you will not experience the second death. What he's talking about there. The first death is when you die a natural death. And when you're raised at, at the resurrection, because you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you will not die again. But if you do not know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, you will die in a place called death and hell. Jesus said, stay awake, stay alert, don't be apathetic. And then he goes on to the church at Pergamum. Pergamum. And at Pergamum, he writes about the false teachings of this Balaam. He talks about the, the works of iniquity, the immorality, particularly the sexual immorality that's there. And he says, church, be separate from the world. The world is caught up in hedonism. We live in a world of sexual immorality to the point that it has become normalized. The church is to be different. We are to be people of a covenant, covenant in marriage as well as covenant to Christ and a covenant to each other. Let us be Nikes when we face immorality in this world. In verse 18, he writes to the church at Thyatira, and he says, I know that your deeds and your faith and your service, but you tolerate false prophets, one particularly called Je Je Jezebel. And he said, because you tolerate false prophets and you don't hold to the truth, he says, you're going to lose your place in God's effectiveness. To be taken from the lampstand simply means that God will not be able to use you because you're not standing on the true gospel. You're, you're, you're following the gospels of get-rich-quick preachers on TV. You're following gospels of being baptized for the dead. You're following teachings about from books that are not inspired of God. Come back to the clear, simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe and stand on that gospel. And those who overcome, those who are Nikes, he says, he will keep my deeds to the end. I will come and give authority over the nations. 
and you will stand in your integrity and you will rule. And then he says to the church at Sardis, to the church at Sardis, remember what you've heard, that you keep it and that you repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night. Folks, we can get slothful. We can get slothful. We can do things halfway. God expects from us excellence in our service to give him our very, very best. And he who are Nikes and overcome slothfulness, he says, I will clothe you with a white garment and I will not erase your name from the Lamb's book of life. And then to the church at Philadelphia, brotherly love. He says, I know your deeds, but you have an open door. And if you will let me come into that open door and you will persevere and you will not give up your integrity, he says, I will come quickly to you and I'll make you a pillar in the temple of God. Immovable. Because you've restored your integrity. Finally, to the church at Laodicea, he says, I know that you say you're rich, but you're really not. And you have, you have uh, overcome, uh, you, you have not overcome this thing called materialism. And he says, you love the things of the world more than you love the God of the world. And John, who wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, said, if we love this world more than we love the God of this world, we are caught in unbelief. So let us be careful. Let us be overcomers. Let us not be, become hooked to the materialism of this world. You like nice things. I like nice things. But folks, nice things are passing away. Don't set your future on nice things. Don't, don't be measured by your nice things. You are not who you are because you have nice things. You are who you are because of the Lamb who was slaughtered for the sin of the world, who now stands at the right hand of the throne of the Father judging the world. And it is His standard. It is His standard that makes us the people of God. So be Nikes. Be overcomers. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give over. Don't give out. Keep being faithful and be a Nike believer. Let's bow our heads together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for a word of challenge from this great book of the Bible that we would be faithful to the very end. And while others have chosen to divorce the church, we will not. I pray today that during this invitation there'll be a person that'll come forward saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to be baptized. I pray that some Christian will make an adjustment today in their personal walk with you so that we will be noted for being overcomers. That we will be faithful. Because at the end of time in the judgment seat of God, we will hear those words, Well done, my good and Nike servant.
my faithful overcomer. Lord, that, may that be said of all of us as we struggle with the temptations of this world, as we struggle with our own challenges and perils. But Father, help us to love you more today than we loved you yesterday and to be honest in our walk with you and experience your grace and your mercy to keep on keeping on. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.